Welcome to Invested in Climate. Protecting the planet and decarbonizing the global economy is the challenge of our time. Never before have so many people rallied around a common cause. We all have a role to play, and the opportunity we face is unprecedented. Invested in Climate aims to help people do more to address climate change through their work, investments, learning, lifestyle, and activism. I'm your host, Jason Rissman. I co-lead a climate venturing practice at the design firm IDEO, supporting early stage climate founders and organizations. I'm also an investor and startup advisor, and have realized that when it comes to climate action, I'll be a lifelong learner looking for the best ways to have a climate positive impact. If you like what you hear, give us a good rating on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you found us. Follow us on social, subscribe, and spread the word. Find episodes, sign up for updates, get in touch, and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. Thanks for joining. I know some folks who specifically don't invest in climate and it's like, ah, I'm not in it for the impact. I just want money. I'm like, great. Guess what? <laughs> like, now I believe that you can get those returns and then also sleep better at night knowing that you're taking action on, on this once in a generation, once in a century issue. It's, it's just a, it's a fun time to be a climate investor because I believe you can have your cake and eat it too. Hey, everyone. You're probably aware that venture capital investing in climate has grown very quickly in recent years, from around $5 billion in 2016 to over $40 billion in 2021. Large funds drive most of that growth, but small vehicles still play an important role, especially in recruiting new investors to start investing in climate. Sandeep Bahuja has helped many investors begin to dip their toes into climate. He's invested in over 100 companies through syndicates that he's led. Full disclosure, I've backed a couple of his syndicated deals. Now, he's focusing on developing funds to deploy more capital into climate startups. Sandeep has a fascinating background, having been a software engineer, product manager, marketer, and business leader for technology companies, Kiva.org, Republic, and many others. He also wrote a novel and a television pilot as part of his effort to fuel more climate action. Sandeep has great insights to the world of investing in climate startups today. And if that's a world you're curious about, I think you'll enjoy this episode. Here we go. Sandeep, welcome to Invested in Climate. So glad to have you here today. Thank you for having me. Great. So we're recording this on November 1st. I have to ask, do you have a candy hangover from Halloween? (laughs) Hopefully my little one doesn't. I do not. I'm old enough to be disciplined in the, the sugar category. All right. Very good. Yeah, I was somewhat disciplined as well. Well, here we go. We have so many things to talk about. I've been really excited about this conversation. You have a fascinating background and you're now at the forefront of climate investing. And so there's a lot that I'd like to cover. Let's first start with what you're up to today. And then we'll pull in a bit of your history and experience as we go. And also, of course, be able to talk about where you're going. So first off, you're a very active investor, syndicate lead, and fund manager focused on climate. Let's get started just by hearing about the different syndicates and funds through which you're helping people invest in climate solutions. For sure. And uh, this is a fun time to have this conversation because we're in a, a bit of a transition. So historically, if you let me do a little bit of a history, walk through here. So started investing in climate in 2015. My primary vehicle was a syndicate on AngelList. This is even before Climate Capital was a brand. It was a different brand and got access to some incredible companies in climate and, and invested. Uh, and at that time, I was also doing non-climate. 
Then in 2019, was able to launch traditional fund on AngelList. So did one of those and another one in, in 2020. And then in 2021, launched what's called a rolling fund. And so for the last year and a little bit, I've had a rolling fund in addition to a dedicated syndicate called Climbing Capital. Along the way, realized just with sort of the uptick in, in deal volume, how I needed to grow the team. And so I was able to attract some incredible folks to join what we call Climate Capital Collective, which is in fact a separate syndicate. And the partners there either source their own or will collaborate on opportunities that I've sourced or that just kind of come into into our, our inbox. And they'll run their own, own SPVs. Fantastic. You know, I think for listeners that aren't familiar with AngelList or syndicates or rolling funds, walk us through those different investment vehicles. What are they and what are the benefits of backing a syndicate or investing in a rolling fund compared to either just investing directly in startups or investing in a traditional venture fund? Totally. Well, I think a lot of it just comes in access. So let's kind of walk through, at least from my perspective, the, the different opportunities. If you're if you're non-accredited, there are very limited opportunities to invest in startups. Republic, which is a company I'm an advisor at and was at for a little while, is is increasingly presenting climate opportunities for non-accredited investors to come in to republic.co is their website. If you're accredited, there are several platforms you can go to. And, and Republic, by the way, is, is one of a handful of, of non-accredited, WeFunder being another notable one. If you're accredited, there's more platforms, AngelList being one, where you can invest on AngelList specifically. Oftentimes, you're investing in a syndicate where there's a syndicate lead who sourced the allocation and is, in theory, run diligence and is presenting to you kind of their investment memo as to why they're excited. And you're, of course, invited to co-invest with them into what's called a special purpose vehicle, an SPV. And you pay some some carry into the syndicate lead into the platform, as well as some administrative fees for the opportunity to invest. Then on the fund side, rolling funds are an innovation from AngelList where unlike a traditional fund where there may be a 100K minimum or, or 250K minimum, which is often the case for individual investors, you can subscribe on a quarterly basis to invest. And some leads will let you invest as little as I think a thousand bucks or 2,500. At this point, climate capital's minimum is 10K a quarter where you can cancel at any time. It lets you kind of invest a smaller amount and you're getting exposure to this fund where now the GP is deploying your capital like any fund would. Um, you sort of trust them with the capital and they deploy it on your behalf. And then the traditional funds are more of a, they're going to do one close or two closes or three closes. And that is your investment for the next two or three years. Their deployment window is two or three years versus a quarterly deployment period. I think that's the, the full menu right now. Yeah, I think the benefits would be great. And particularly, you said that you are stepping back from having a strong presence in the syndicates and instead are focused on raising funds. Yeah. So let me speak a little bit to the benefits, at least as an LP, and I'm an LP as well. And on all these platforms, I invest in Republic and WeFunder and AngelList, and I invest in rolling funds and traditional funds. So I'm a, I'm a customer as well. The benefit as an LP, as someone who's investing is, and by the way, this is not investment advice, all disclaimers, this is just my personal experience. When I'm investing on a platform, be it WeFunder, AngelList, or Republic, or any of the others, I get to choose what I'm investing in, right? It's like, this is the company I'm excited about. I'm excited about this founder, this story, this vision, and I can deploy a little bit of capital and hope for the best and, and be a cheerleader uh, on the sidelines. When I'm investing in a rolling fund or traditional fund, I really need to trust the GP to make decisions on my behalf. Now, in a world where you are inundated with deal flow, which is a world I'm in, I'm increasingly trusting GPs with my capital just because there's so many deals out there that I don't have the cycles to go out in diligence. Even if I'm getting on the back of someone's diligence, it's still just, you know what? Take my money, I trust you, and I'll pay the management fees to you in addition to the carry to do that. So NLP, if you if you have the time and you're excited, great. Go deal by deal. It's amazing. If you feel like you have less time, you kind of want to just trust people, the rolling funds, traditional funds are the way to go. 
love syndicates. They've been a gift. Love rolling funds. They've been a gift as someone who's building my as an, as an investor. But what we're increasingly running into as we sort of scale the brand and, uh, and scale the team at, at Climate Capital is there's a certain class of investors that doesn't want to invest in a rolling fund, especially when you get to the bigger ticket investors, folks who are writing half a million, million dollar checks. They do. I don't want to take anything away from rolling fund as a product. It's great, but the market's still adjusting to that product. So as we're looking now to raise more so we can write larger checks and raise more from people who write larger checks, we're just moving to traditional funds. So syndicates are amazing, as I mentioned before, but as we kind of, again, move to be more of an active player in the ecosystem, having capital ready to deploy to move quickly is just serving us better than, than the syndicate platform. Now, we'll still have a team of incredible folks under the C3 brand who will be running syndicate allocations, but I personally will be moving away from syndicates to focus on my funds. Okay. Thanks for the background and giving us a sense of the overall structure and the different types of investment vehicles. Of course, now we want to dive into the meats of, of what's exciting to you. I'd love to hear about the thesis that's informing your investments and what kind of climate companies you're looking to invest in. Perhaps you could give us some examples of portfolio companies to make your approach more tangible. I'll go a little bit down a memory lane here again. So why did I get into climate? And why is this the thesis I've been excited about for some time? When I was helping launch the nonprofit Kiva.org, incredible nonprofit that was sort of uh, allowing folks to make uh, micro loans to entrepreneurs in developing countries. And that's where I was like, oh my gosh, I want to be at the intersection of impact and technology. This is amazing. But to me, poverty is as important as an issue as it is, wasn't calling to me as my issue. So I was like, okay, what's my issue? What's my issue? My dad worked for Cali Airbnb for 40 years and I grew up kind of hiking, backpacking. I would I still remember I would annoy my friends in high school, mind you, this is in the late 90s, by not running the AC because of chlorofluorocarbons. And so I kind of found climate change as, as, a, as more of, of potentially my issue. And then I realized, oh my gosh, climate change is making poverty worse. And guess what? It's making disease worse and inequality worse and education worse. And it's sort of exacerbating all these social issues I care about. And so I realized kind of in 2007, that, okay, climate is going to be what I want to focus on because it is so leveraged in every minute or hour or dollar I put into climate. I can affect all these social issues in hopefully a positive way. So that's why I got into it. And that's why I believe from an investment perspective, it is so interesting, right? Every industry now is really being affected by climate in some way or another. And so from a thesis perspective, going to, I think, that question, we have a broad thesis at Climate Capital. We do believe that there's disruption and opportunity across categories. And so rather than being a focused fund on alt protein or on the energy transition, we're trying to really kind of step back and look at all these verticals and, and find new companies that we think stand out in every single one. Great. With such a broad thesis, I'm curious then, what do you look for? Is it just size of markets that a company is addressing and how impressive the founders are or What's really your screening process? That in reverse. How impressive the founders are and then how big is the opportunity they're going for? First and foremost, and this is me, I've always tried to just make founder bets. Ultimately, at the pre-seed and seed stage, which is where we predominantly invest, it's about, is this the right founder for this opportunity? So much about that is, what's their background? What's their why? Are they coming at it from a personal story, from a PhD perspective, from a, hey, I was at this company, which was in climate and realized or what was non-climate and realized kind of there's a there's a deeper problem here to go after. So a lot of my investment decisions, I won't speak for anyone else on the team, starts with who is the founder, what is their why, what's the founder market fit, right? Which is not my phrase, it's it's quite commonly used. And we often invest before product market fit. So it's less about do they have customer traction? That's great. Uh, LOIs are great. We definitely look for that. But most importantly is who is this person? Why are they the person to build this company? Then, as you were alluding to, it's okay. 
How big can this really be? Is it venture scale? Right. That's another early question is folks are working on incredibly interesting and important problems, but is it a opportunity that has enough defensibility and leverage? And is it going to be a exponential curve? Is it going to grow a little bit every year? Is it going to accelerate? So all those sort of tie into this, like, is it venture scale, right? That's kind of the next big question. And then from there, depending upon the nuance of, of it, you know, if it's a purely technology company, all right, let's kick the tires around the technology. If it's a marketplace, all right, let's understand both sides of the marketplace. Or if it's, you know, a D2C company, which we rarely do, like, let's understand, you know, product market fit. Or if it's a B2B company, let's understand product market fit as much as possible. You mentioned that climate is impacting hundreds of industries and really having an impact across the economy, creating a complete transformation and opening up many new types of opportunities and thus your, your broad investment thesis. You know, where I work at, at IDEO, the design firm, we focus on the idea that actually we're in a moment where everything needs to be redesigned. And the market is changing so much that we believe we're in the midst of a climate era when there's a totally new type of opportunity and risk for all types of, of organizations. Let's get really tangible and spend a couple of minutes looking at some of the companies that you've been focused on, and maybe it'll help us get an understanding of some of the breadth of opportunity. So perhaps pick a couple from some widely different industries. As you're talking about kind of this reinvention, what a fun time, right? Like, yes, it's going to be painful to some industries and exciting in others, and transition can be tough all around, but it can also be fun, right? Like sort of going back to first principles and saying, look, in this transition, in this new era, what do things look like and how to be designed for this kind of new world? Oftentimes, I'm meeting with founders and, and as a former founder myself, I'm slightly envious of their ability to create in a way where it may have been difficult to create you know, 10 years ago, just because it is this kind of blank canvas. So on portfolio companies, I'll mention a few. I, I love all my portfolio companies, or at least most of them. So this is by no means a favorites list. This is just a what jumps out right now, or it was in my inbox this morning that I'm thinking about. So Let's talk about finance. In the world of finance, you've got cars. People are buying cars and EVs are looked at as different than your ICE, your internal combustion engine cars. There's a company called Zebi that just came out yesterday and this new brand, which is why I get their top of mind, um, that is allowing consumers to purchase cars in new ways. If you look at traditional financing, it is different than financing for an EV because of the fact that the EV is really a battery on wheels. That's one sort of exciting company. And they're, they're more fintech. In fact, I remember the founder saying, you know, I'm a car guy, but he's coming at this climate opportunity from sort of the, the car perspective. Another one... We should have a random company selector just to make sure it's clear you're know, not picking totally. favorites, just representative examples. Exactly, exactly. And, and I'm trying to pick ones that are kind of in the news. But the alt-protein world is interesting, right? I was actually just at a dinner with someone who was early at Impossible Foods and learning kind of how disruptive they were in sort of opening up the whole industry, right? They and beyond and a few others. And now we see at Climate Capital, not just, you know, meat, like beef or, or, or whatever, but, you know, chicken. And, and now there's companies that are saying, look, why are we just bringing, if we're, we're going to be synthetic about it, why are we focusing on chicken chicken and beef just because those are the ones that are easy to raise. Let's go a little more exotic in the, in the foods that, that we kind of, you know, create. So, oh, and then there's cheese, which is so much nuance to the texture and the flavor of cheese. Like, how do you kind of recreate cheese? So there's some interesting companies there. If you if you want me to pick one, I'll pick Kuliana, which is plant-based seafood. You know, met, these, met this founder and, you know, people love their tuna. People love their sushi. And so it's a high bar to be able to kind of put a dish in front of someone who loves sushi and say, this is actually not fish, right? Not at all. This is, uh, this is entirely plant-based and, and have them be delighted with that experience. So that's, I'll, I'll fly Koliana because again, they were in my inbox recently as one company in that space. Sandeep, 
Let's just talk about the overall market for a second. 2020 and 2021 saw a flood of capital coming into the climate space. The number of ventures and climate soared, so did valuations. How has 2022 felt in comparison for climate tech investing? And what's your outlook for the next couple of years? So a few things that are unique to climate, right? Like, yes, overall, definite pullback, slowdown. I also was investing in non-climate for a while, much, much less so. In fact, I just updated my LinkedIn today to be squarely focused on climate capital as I, as I kind of squarely focused on it relative to other opportunities. But because of, one, just the capital that was raised in climate in the years you mentioned, the amount of dry powder that's there, combined with the fact that a lot of these industries are still moving quickly as governments and people realize sort of the need for action. And then the IRA, all those things have created this like tailwind that I believe have propelled climate in a way that most other industries have not been propelled the last six months, right? You had sort of this market and everything getting pulled back. And I, I, we're still busy in climate, right? In a way that, again, I feel that my colleagues that are not, not focused on climate are, are less busy. Not to say we're not seeing tough times in climate, right? There are companies that are struggling to raise, that are raising flat rounds, that are raising down rounds in climate. That's still happening. And you're seeing, you know, prototype only, pre-seed, all of a sudden raise way more because of the promise of the technology on the back of the IRA tailwind and the founder potential, right? Like that is still happening in climate. You're also seeing because of all the new funds that may not even be climate funds, funds that are raised as generalist funds that are moving into climate, do deals that the climate investors I know passed on. We'll see in 10 years who's right, but there's so much capital, not just the capital been raised for climate the last few years, but capital that just wants to get into climate because of the realization that climate is this you know, massive force in one of the few areas of alpha for the next decade, that deals are getting done still by people you've never heard of or by people you've heard of and you're like, wow, they're doing climate now. So plenty of money to go around and, and thankfully plenty of founders still innovating. And with all the instability that we've been facing between inflation, the war in Ukraine, concerns of recession, has it made you more or less excited about some particular spaces within climate? It's made me more excited to be an investor because we're getting in on valuations that are more attractive than they were. So there's that. Some would say we're still, we still understand the damage that's going to be done. Some say it's, it's still to come and others will say, oh, it's already been priced in. I, I don't have a view on that, but we, we tend to be cautious and ultimately if we're investing in a founder and in a company that we believe, first of all, is raising enough runway, right? Not 18 months, that doesn't cut anymore, 24 months at the bare minimum, hopefully more. And if they've already raised, you know, hopefully they're accelerating, or sorry, they're extending runway. And they're in a space that is going to keep moving, right? They're not like, you know, you're seeing slowdowns in home renovations or in sort of home buying. There are climate angles in that. Like if I were investing today at one of those companies, I would factor that in. Like, hey, is this how much of the slowdown is going to affect you? But a lot of companies, again, are, are pure technology companies where, again, governments are still taking action and accelerating, especially, for example, the impact of the war on Ukraine and energy, IRA, etc. So I can't pick one category or five categories to say, here are the five categories we're still investing in. I will say, though, again, in some, a lot of it's about runway to make sure that we can, we can last a prolonged downturn. A lot of it's about, is this a medicine versus a vitamin? Like, is this truly something that people are going to pay for? And yeah, there's, there's still a lot of activity. That's kind of the punchline is there's still a lot of action happening in climate. It hasn't slowed down the way it has for other sectors by any means. Great. Sandeep, so you've built a structure that's different than typical venture firms through all the syndicates yep. and rolling funds and now the, the new funds. And over the past several years, you've invested in over 100 companies. And with the funds that you're currently raising, I'm, I'd guess that that growth is only accelerating. I happen to be on your email list and recently received an email from you with the subject, we're building 
the A16Z of climate. So I'm curious about your vision of what you're building. Tell us about that statement and just your vision for what your group of funds will become and what the years ahead hold for you all. For those who are fans of A16Z or not, you know, there's a few things I mean by that. And that went to a sort of a small group of LPs, which Jason, you're on, I appreciate you being on that list. Ultimately, there's a few things that we believe they've done right. One is they built a machine to super serve founders and they innovated in that way. And now there's a lot of what is now, for example, perhaps table stakes was not necessarily the case when they came when they, when they emerged. And so what can we do to sort of super serve founders and really get ahead of what their needs are? That's one, right? Two, they've taken this sort of vertical fund approach where they have a crypto fund, they have a bio fund, now they have a gaming fund, as opposed to a big fund that it sort of touches everything. And we arrived at, at the decision separately and we sort of realized where well, we're starting to look a little bit like A16. Ultimately, also... We want to attract the best operators for the firm as possible. And so how do we do that? Perhaps not by having a large fund and having you know all the people take a small piece of this large fund. Perhaps it is by having these sort of vertical funds where the partners at those funds get majority economics on their vertical. And then the other thing that sort of I think A16Z does, and I have had a conversation with someone over there for a little bit of background on this, and this may be not unique to them, is centralizing some things, right, that can be centralized, whether it be recruiting or legal, so that each fund doesn't have to have its own team to do that. They get the benefits of being part of the crime and capital family, benefits of shared resources on diligence and access to subscriptions and this or that, while then also being able to sort of specialize as they see fit. We hope that it lets us track the best talent and move fast, all with the goal of investing in and supporting the best founders in the world. Sandeep, let's look back at your past and use that to try to better understand where you are today and what you're building. You were an early team member of Kiva.org, a very well-known trailblazing micro-lending platform, and I believe you were on the marketing team. So I'm curious, what did you learn in that role about building communities of investors that have helped with the work that you're doing today? Yeah. Oh my gosh. So helping launch Kiva was fun, partially because we had no resources. Again, I was friends with Premal and Matt and Jessica when they were getting started and hey, how can I help? And they're like, oh, look, help spread the word. And I was like, what's my budget? And they're like, zero dollars. I'm like, oh, great. So you know, <laughs> I believe in this concept of constraint-driven innovation. And so it was really about, okay, how do we leverage all the interest that and people that have to support Kiva and empower them? How do we create viral loops? There was sort of a lot of thought that went into what do you do with no budget, but with product levers and content and clever marketing in a way that, that amplifies sort of the momentum that's already there. The second company I actually co-founded came out of this realization of the power of communities. So many people wanted to support Kiva's mission and are starting a volunteer program there to kind of like, oh my gosh, so many people want to get involved. How do we kind of get them involved in a way that they're external to the organization, but can really be supportive. So the second company I co-founded was actually called The Extraordinaries, where it was a micro-volunteering platform where it was, it's not just nonprofits that people are passionate about. People are passionate about their sports team, even brands. And so we were like, how do we tap into this energy where po- folks can help translate a website for the, the giants with moments of spare time or whatever have you? The company, unfortunately, didn't find product market fit, ended up finding a soft landing. But going back to your question about community, that has always kind of been there in the back of my mind of the power of, of people who are passionate about something that an organization that they're not a part of, right? When I started my third company, which was called Blismo, we were trying to introduce people to more sustainable products. There was very little community because people were not jazzed about climate in the way they are today. And so then I had to shift gears and be like, okay, how do I create this community? How do I build excitement? So 
wrote a novel about a post-climate change future, did a TV pilot about rising sea levels, had an accelerator called Silver Climate, where we incubated companies like Arcadia and, well, Arcadia dropped out, but the camera was involved for a little bit, 12 states of the program, and a handful of others, all to kind of build this community around climate. And fast forward, what I was able to do in AngelList, I think, with Climate Capital, with this LP group, is give the folks who cared about climate and wanted to invest in climate a place to do so. And many would argue, and rightly so, that we've done very little with that community, and we're changing that. That's part of why I'm, again, stepping out of syndication to start focusing more on on building climate capital is now, with the world as it is today, there are so many people, and not just investors, who are so passionate about climate. How do we empower them in a way that we did at Kiva, in a way that we try to do the extraordinaries to support climate as a broad issue, which, again, a lot of people are already doing. We don't want to recreate the wheel, but more specifically, the companies that we've invested in right? There are incredible companies we've invested in that we think deserve a 1,000 fans, 10,000 fans, 100,000 fans, but people have never heard of, right? So how do we kind of now bring the broader, either folks who are part of the capital syndicate or who are passionate about climate and starting to sort of express their passion for it with how they spend money together with these emerging startups that are building products that we just know that folks are going to love. That's the opportunity and the challenge that lies ahead for, for climate capital. That's great. And you know, I'm glad that you brought up the TV pilot and the novel that you wrote. So in addition to building communities, you've learned a lot about communicating about climate in ways that hopefully activate people. And I'm curious, is there anything that you'd want to share with others in terms of activating people through communication and you know whether or not you're doing it today? You know, I see your deal memos as, as being a, a new extension of, of your writing, of course. But what else can people learn from your experience? I guess it depends on the audience. I mean, one thing that uh, I'm curious about is actually in developing countries. In the United States, for example, again, there's there's thankfully, whether it's social media, whether it's regular media, the New York Times now has a sort of climate forward piece. There's a lot sort of starting to be generated. And it's fun, actually, when I watch a movie about climate where it's like two and a half hours of action and like 30 seconds of climate. Like, oh, yeah, that's how we got in this mess, which is the backdrop for this movie. And the rest of the movie is just a fun, entertaining movie. Like, I love that. That's Haley and the novel I wrote was the same kind of thing. The backdrop is post-climate change reality, but the book itself is really about, you know, these three characters. So it it depends on the audience, right? Like The general public, I think, just want a good story, right? We're all humans. We love human stories. And and if there's a bit of a climate there that's interesting, great. But no one wants to be hammered over the head. No one wants to be lectured. Then there's the folks who are really like leaning in with their careers. And there's great resources out there. TerraDo is a company we're investors in. And there's other sort of communities out there to kind of let folks that are leaning in discover ways in which they can get involved. Then there's investors. What I really get curious about outside of sort of the mandate we have at Climate Capital to start connecting broader communities with our portfolio companies is the opportunity to develop in countries. Like I'm so curious, what stories are being told in India around climate? What stories are being told in China? What stories are being told in, in Africa? where you have these emerging economies that really hold the fate of our planet in their hands. I mean, there's plenty more work to be done in the United States and Canada and Europe around climate, but we have momentum. I don't really know what the momentum is in these other countries. And I'm, I'm really curious. And, and so much I believe of it has to probably come from the people. So it's funny when you, when you talk about climate and content and stories, like the next thing I do after working to build climate capital in the 16th of climate, if there's time is to go into these areas and these countries and, and, help galvanize storytelling and movements so that the people can understand the problem and opportunity that lies ahead and galvanize their governments to take action if it hasn't already happened yet. Well, I'm sure it's happening, but I'm sure you could be supportive of it. What I think that's been interesting is to see pathways from going from climate curious to climate committed to being a real advocate and getting people to invest, actually put their money 
behind climate solutions is one, a big step, but two, it makes them more likely to stay focused on climate, to tell others about it, maybe to get involved in policy or advocacy. So there's a lot of value for the syndication, but of course, syndicates on Angelus are only accessible to accredited investors. And you have experience of having been a partner at Republic, an equity crowdfunding platform that actually allows non-accredited investors to invest. And you said that they have a growing number of climate opportunities, but I'm curious, do you see a greater opportunity for helping non-accredited investors to invest in climate tech or renewable energy or other types of climate positive solutions in a broader range of opportunities than what's currently on Republic? Yeah, it's called the RIA. <laughs> I mean, wow, right? Like talk about empowering people to take action on climate and they may not really care about climate and that's totally fine. You know, ultimately, I think we will not tackle this crisis by getting everyone to care about climate. I, I don't believe that's possible. I mean, it'd be amazing if we did, but I don't believe that's possible. We will tackle this crisis by aligning interests. And that means the folks who are looking to upgrade their car, letting them buy an EV, the folks that are looking to upgrade their stove, letting them buy an electric stove, the folks who are looking to get to work, giving them sustainable options, the, work, the, folks, the list goes on, right? It is, it is about aligning interests so that folks can take climate positive action without feeling that they are, without even knowing that they are, right? And making those choices abundant, cost competitive, if not cheaper than the non-sustainable or less sustainable alternatives, right? That is the solution to this. And that's what a lot of entrepreneurs are working on. That's what the government is thankfully taking some action on. And again, not again, it's dinner. I should keep referencing, but it was a really great dinner. Someone mentioned that the RA is a down payment, right? It is the first of what we, of a larger sum that we need to really tackle the crisis ahead. And I hadn't really thought about it that way. I was so just caught up in like, wow, what does this mean? That I was like, you know, this person I believe is right. Like, and it again, most likely be the one way where you're asking about how folks get excited or invest in climate. It's it's really just investing in everyday actions that are climate positive. That's the best thing that I think folks can do. If you're looking for alpha, sure, absolutely invest in climate companies. But if you're just looking to invest in climate, these are everyday actions you can take. Love that perspective. And I could point folks to a recent episode we just recorded with Ari from Rewiring America, talk a lot about how the IRA creates new opportunities and, in his words, creates an electric bank account for all Americans and something that they just need to think a little bit about how to access. Yeah, I'll just, I'll just say one more thing about the folks who want to you know, invest in climate and, and are interested in climate. I believe, and this is a personal opinion, that investing in climate is no brainer. This is why I am focused on it. This is why I've focusing my career and, and a lot of my, my capital into it. Because we're at a time where if for those who, who are looking for venture scale returns and can access venture scale return opportunities, though that exists in climate. So forget about climate for a second. If you're just looking to optimize for return, I believe, and there's an increasing number of people who are saying that, and if you look at the actions of the sequoias of the world that are slowly starting to dip their toes into climate, that climate is a place where that can happen. And guess what? You're investing in climate solutions. For those who are, who are just who don't invest in climate, and, and it's funny, like I know some folks who are specifically don't invest in climate because they're like, ah, I'm not in it for the impact. I just want money. I'm like, great, guess what? <laughs> like, now I believe, you know, well known 10 years was right, that you can get those returns and then also sleep better at night knowing that you're taking action on this, you know, once in a generation, you know, maybe longer, once in a century issue. So it's a fun time to be a climate investor because I believe you can have your cake and eat it too. Couldn't agree more. Sandeep, thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck with the funds that you're raising and all the investments that you're making. Thank you, Jason. Take care, everybody. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Invested in Climate. Please remember to rate us on Apple, Spotify, or Google. Find show notes, sign up for updates, 
Get in touch and visualize your climate action at investedinclimate.com. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial accounting or legal advice. Thanks again.